don't give this partisan liberal the benefit of the doubt. I know that's what they do. There's no mistake. It's not mistakenly. It's on purpose. The literal opposite of mistakenly. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. A huge debt ceiling vote on Wednesday night. Presidential politics, we have a few more jumping into the race. The governor's race in Kentucky heating up with a dead heat in a recent poll and anti-Catholic hate alive and well and sanctioned by Major League Baseball. Welcome to the Flyover Country Podcast. I am Joe Arnold. Kevin Grout is here. Jared Crawford, Sean Southerd, and hey, Scott Jennings. Hello, Joe Arnold. Good job on that uh, setting up the show, by the way. Is that what we're talking about tonight? That table of contents. (laughs) I did that. Choice. It was very smooth. (laughs) I'm going to sort of lean back here and listen to those of you. Actually, this is being recorded at 9.34 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the year of our Lord, uh, 2023, May 31st. Mm-hmm. And this is, this moments ago, this stunning... Breaking news! This stunning uh, vote total <laughs> of... <laughs> was it 311? Yeah. In favor of this uh, of this, uh, this debt ceiling? Well, I have to say, everyone said that... I remember being on TV the night that Kevin McCarthy got elected speaker. And many people were confidently predicting that the debt limit would be the thing that broke him and would drive him from the speakership. And yet, here we are tonight, gentlemen. McCarthy's put together a broad coalition here. And look, I think there's no deal. In fact, I think I read tonight Ralph Norman of South Carolina, who's been one of the most vociferous anti-people on this deal, actually was quoted, I think, by Jake Sherman as saying, that he told leadership that they did the best job they could, that, in fact, they probably did a better job than he could have done, but he was still voting no. <laughs> and so he kind, <laughs> right. of, he kind of admitted, I mean, that's kind of giving away the game, right? There's just going to be a certain cohort of people on the right and on the left who are professional grandstanders. And, and, it, and, it, and you know, already Bernie Sanders has come out against it in the Senate. There's been some progressives in the House that have come out against it. So I think what we learned is there is a caucus of people who are basically interested in governing. And then there's a caucus who are basically interested in grandstanding. And and and, and they're bipar- both caucuses are bipartisan. That's what mm-hmm. we learned. But you can't look at this any other way than as a complete and total vindication of Kevin McCarthy's leadership style. And one note before we kick it around, putting Thomas Massey of Kentucky's 4th Congressional District wow. on the Rules Committee <laughs> turned out to be a stroke of genius. He provided the deciding vote in the rules committee for passage to get it to the floor. And I just, he's my congressman. I endorsed him in his last election. I like Thomas. We don't see eye to eye on every issue, but I have to say his consideration of this, the way he went about it. And it was, he is a mature adult human in a business where we don't have enough. And anyway, I just wanted to say Thomas Massey, good job. Your explanations and what you're doing with the position of responsibility you've been given is a credit to your district and your state. And his tweet threads explaining why he was voting for it and laying out the appropriate and saying, you know, when I ran for Congress, I didn't know how this appropriations process worked. And now I know that. And we're going to have an opportunity here to draw back even more spending through the 12 appropriations bills. There's two things I want to say. Number one, a lot of people did not think that Kevin McCarthy was going to be able to get a majority of the Republican caucus. He got almost 70% of the Republican caucus to vote for this. So that's huge. Number two, the Democrats look absolutely 
disingenuous and stupid for running around for months and months and months saying this was a this was a huge crisis that needed to be averted and there was nothing that could happen get in the way of voting to raise the debt ceiling and then there's so many of them are peeling off to vote against raising the debt ceiling. So I'd like to say thank you to those Democrats that have finally come around to joining the Republicans and doing the responsible thing and raising it. Yeah. President Biden showed that he was not the leader. He, he was, was not the man at the switch this entire time. He and his press secretary went out there saying they would never negotiate. They don't do this. They would only accept a clean uh, hike of the debt ceiling, which, you know, isn't a responsible thing to do. And then now they're trying to take credit for it. And they delivered some Democrats, but only after congressional Democrats were starting to rabble rouse against Biden. They were publicly talking about how he wasn't appropriately coming to the table Part of this was his fault for sitting on his hands for almost 100 days while Kevin McCarthy was there to negotiate. I mean, Biden's entire argument for why he's the best, and this you know, was definitely his argument in 2020, is that he is the adult in the room. He is the deal maker who can get, get there, and he did in the end, but it took so long to get there, and he had to be dragged, kicking and screaming. You know what I'll add to some of the other provisions in the bill, one of them being you know, work requirements for certain uh, assistance programs, is a wildly popular idea, right? Like, I'm sure there's some Dems who sort of feel like they're holding their nose and voting for that, but clawing back the COVID money that hasn't been spent, common sense to, I think, most people. Which, by the way, is sort of like a mini Inflation Reduction Act that actually does do something yeah. to take out that, uh, that, that, that panel. McCarthy yeah. is touting this as the largest spending cut in U.S. history. That's how he's describing it. And some people are trying to, to say that's not... True, but I mean that—that's—that's their message on this. And then you look at the rest of the stuff, um, um, clawing back the COVID money that's not been spent, uh, the paygo, the administrative paygo stuff, cutting the red tape on the energy uh, projects. You know, I heard the other night they were saying that you know a project in the United States that takes six or seven years to get approved takes like two years in Europe, and so. Getting that streamlined is really huge. I mean, we've had a number of projects, even in Kentucky, that have mired in red tape for years. Clawing, that was like $20 billion back out of the IRS spending. Mm-hmm. I mean, really good. Um, and then um, um, rejecting all of Biden's $5 trillion in proposed new tax increases. There's not a single new tax in this. I mean, a lot of stuff in here for Republicans to like. Truth in advertising, okay? So don't think things that aren't true. This is the largest cut in American history. This goes to the debt ceiling to uh, January 1st. It also brings you work requirements on welfare, something we've never been able to get through in our modern time outside of 1995. Here's the problem, Scott. (laughs) Come throw cold water on (laughs) No, Bear with me here for a minute here. Is government spending still out of control? Yes. Is there no limit to the tax credits that that uh, that uh, as far as this uh, the, the the climate action inflation reduction act whatever you want to call it? There's no limit to that. There's no cap on how much uh, you can you can spend of, the, of your money to be able to bankroll these projects. That is a problem. But how did we get there? We got there because of divided government. We got there because Joe Biden is the president, and because the U.S. Senate is prim- primarily Democrat. And this is the point that you made, Scott, both on State of the Union on Sunday morning as well as again on on Wednesday night um, on CNN again um, with uh, Anderson Cooper, and that is this is Donald Trump's fault. Yeah, I mean if you if you if you still have a complaint after Kevin McCarthy still somehow exacted a win out of this disaster 
of a inflation-inducing uh, economic and climate policy of the Biden administration. If you still have a problem with that, then look at Donald Trump, but don't look at Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, he he is doing the best he can do, better than anyone would have expected he could do with divided government. And hey, if you had the White House and you had the Senate, you could do a lot of things uh, that you can't do in divided government. And who lost the White House and who lost the Senate? So I, I think the point is 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 one of, and I guess the left would view this the same way, like, well, if we controlled everything, we wouldn't have had to have dealt with these Republicans. Right. And so, but but I'm guessing most of the American people, you know, the way these things are covered, it's like, you know, drama and fighting. And what, but ultimately, what happened? We have divided government, and ultimately, both parties had to hammer out a deal. It passed mm-hmm. by a wide margin. I mean, basically, this is the two-party system in action. And most Americans, I think, are like, yeah, I guess that's the way it's supposed to work. And the whole time Mitch McConnell was saying, this is how this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's going to be Biden and McCarthy. Yeah. He's been saying it for months. Months. And then, and then this last week he was like, everyone just needs to calm down. It's yeah. going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be fine. Just calm down. And where would we be if not for Speaker McCarthy? If Democrats still controlled the House, what would we be talking about right now? Not spending cuts, not oh. callbacks. We'd be doing another partisan reconciliation bill yes, to dump right. trillions more dollars on this economy, make inflation worse. And, you know, Joe, you talked a lot about, about the problems, just doubling down on every single make one Make inflation them. happen again. That would be the Democrat <laughs> motto. You know, these these work requirements, I, I've been on with a couple. And, and look, one of my dear friends at CNN is Ashley Allison, who worked for Biden. And, and, and I, I love Ashley. I mean, she's like, She's terrific. But she said on Sunday, because a lot of Democrats were making this argument that Republicans, uh, she said, obsession, her word, with work requirements are, quote, offensive to poor people. And I heard other people saying that somehow the Republicans' demands for work requirements was somehow, like, politically problematic. And, Jared, I I mean, this has got to be like an 80-20 issue. Able-bodied adults who who don't have extenuating circumstances— being asked to do some work for, I mean, I, it just, there's a war on work in this country, and one party is prosecuting it. They don't think people ought to have to work to get a government handout. And, and I just, I don't know. I, I think this is a debate we ought to have in the 24th cycle because I think it's a winner for the Republicans, is it not? Yeah, I'll add quickly, too. A, a good chunk of people on these assistance programs already work, so essentially it would just be like a— uh like filling out a timesheet to like prove that you're doing it. And even to that, they're like, well, that's too much for them. Again, if you're going to be on some sort of a public assistance program, I think it's reasonable that, A, you're either working or searching for work or tra- in training programs or making yourself a more, you know, uh, employable person, and that to some degree you're proving that, right? Like a supervisor writing at the end of the week, yes, you actually showed up for work. So, again, for most of these people, it will be just sort of like a, a paperwork requirement now and – Again, I think that's remarkably reasonable in the American public. Like you said, it's 70, 30, 80, 20 type issue. Well, isn't work also just good for people, like mentally? And like, it's like, yeah. isn't a lot of the research that's come out about these programs over the years is that being engaged in work results in higher levels of happiness and sociability and no better physical, just better, physical better, well. better physical health i mean <laughs> yeah. and, and mental health i mean i just think that well, these are these are things that we need I as hope, conservatives I hope sean's boss is listening next time he tries it's, to take a vacation oh, <laughs> trust keep me. sean at work it, it, but it's the it's sort of a fundamental question about american culture yeah, yeah. yeah. right I mean, american culture is sort of built on the idea that if you work work hard the sweat of your brow and the strength of your back like it it will this is how you build 
your version of the American dream. But there are politicians in this country who fundamentally think that's crazy, that you shouldn't ask, that it's, it's, it's violence to ask people to work. It's, a, it's offensive to ask people to work. And they believe the government should just take care of it. And ultimately, when you put so many people in that bucket and fewer and fewer people in the bucket of working to pay for everybody else, the imbalance uh, – and, and, and I think there's a lot of people in this country who think we're approaching the point on this – the tipping point mm-hmm. on that. I think you're exactly right because this is the that huge ship which is sl- slowly being turned around or, or perhaps stopped – uh, in terms of what the what the COVID pandemic had actually propelled, yeah, uh, the the whole redistribution of income, the fact that we should give away money to some cohort of people just because they they don't have it, <laughs> and let's just redistribute that and make that happen. So the question is, I don't, and we'll have to find out. And this is where twenty twenty four becomes a real choice. Well, a lot of, a lot of Democrats were saying on the work requirements, like, well, you want to make poor people work, but you're not willing to raise taxes on the wealthy. Well, what do these things have to do with each other? I mean, they. I, I mean, well, I, I fu- fundamentally, it, their worldview is mostly based on just pitting people against each other. Right. You can't have a view here unless you want to punish someone there. It's like this worldview where we always need to punish someone. If you're, if you have an idea, I need the corresponding punishment, and that's it's un-American. It's just fundamentally not the way. Our country works, but that's how they want it to work, and it's a scary thing. I, I, to your point, Jared and uh, Sean, about this being a wildly popular idea, I guess back to my point, to what extent does tonight, as we're taping this right after the vote comes in, to what extent does this manifest itself in the presidential race next fall? Well, I think the, Demo- the, the Republicans are just going to argue the Democrats' spending policies spent us into inflation, and we did everything we could and divided mm-hmm. government to, to claw it back and to, and to draw it down. So I, that's that's going to be a feature of the debate. The Democrats are going to argue, I guess, that this work requirements is somehow terrible, which I think is a losing argument for them. But I think one thing that has been on my mind is after after Trump— I think there are Americans who probably look at the Republican Party and say, can you actually trust these people to govern? Like, are they are they responsible governing people? And and the people they see on TV every night, and, you know, you know who they are, don't seem like responsible people. But you look at this episode. Are you talking about yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I, that is 100%. But they look at this episode and they say, well, wait a minute. Kevin McCarthy just drove a process that led to a bipartisan outcome that averted a you know a default, but at the same time did some. By the way, there was polling saying Americans wanted spending cuts. Yes, with yeah. the debt deal. So what did McCarthy give the American people? Exactly. A process yeah. that produced a bipartisan outcome that reduced spending and averted. We look like a responsible governing party, Here's and things. that's a that's so for twenty twenty four. That's a good thing. We are recording this again at nine fifty five now Eastern time on on uh, Wednesday night. But the question is. How long will it take for the narrative to be flipped? And this is a Joe Biden victory on the newscasts on Thursday morning. Well, already. I mean, I was on uh, the other night with Douglas Brinkley, who's an historian, and he was like, this is what was that, Kevin? <laughs> the greatest <laughs> victory for Joe Biden of all time. And I sort of was like, look, let me just give you the history of this. Joe Biden said... Under no circumstances would he negotiate. Under no circumstances would he sign anything but a clean debt ceiling. And even said... 
that any Republican passed bill would be worse than a default. That was his position. Now he is signing Kevin McCarthy's bill. So, I mean, Biden does look sort of ridiculous. I think everybody kind of knows it. Yep. This is McCarthy's victory. That's, and, why his, that's why his approval rating has gone up. And, and Biden Joe Biden's has gone down. He's going down. And I do think Biden did himself damage saying, I won't negotiate. I won't negotiate. Well, that's not what people want to hear. They want to hear you say, okay, I'm willing to negotiate. That's what they expect the president to do. You'll have people swooping in now saying, well, he, this was his plan the entire right. time. Baloney. They never thought McCarthy could pass a bill through the House. When he did that, the Biden White House was caught off guard. It put Kevin in the driver's seat, and he drove this thing to completion. Did Joe Biden whip the votes so it was a saving face moment for 165 Democrats to vote for this on Wednesday night? In other words, it's, it was just an important uh, statement. and It had not been as strong on the Democratic side, in other words. I, I would think no, because look at some of the Democrats who voted against it. I mean, you mentioned Bernie Sanders, who is the ideological underpinning. He'll vote against it Thursday or Friday. In yeah. the Senate, correct. Uh, but Jayapal, the, the head of the House progressives, also voted against the bill. The, the underpinnings of where the party is ideologically are opposed to the bill. So I don't, I don't think the president got involved beyond saying he was okay with it. This might be an obvious you know, answer, Scott, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Given the fact of how convincing a victory this is for Kevin McCarthy, going into all of this, the whole question was, yeah, they're going to win the debt ceiling vote, but he's going to lose the speakership. Mm. Is that still in play? No, I don't think so. I, I texted with a few folks uh, with his office. I, I don't hear any worry about this. I mean, remember, to to vacate the chair and replace Kevin McCarthy – you have to have an alternative that could actually get elected speaker. There is no other speaker, and there won't be. And McCarthy, I think, has solidified once again his position as somebody who can operate. Mm-hmm. There was like this – I don't know. People just took it as an article of faith that he was some bumbling, you know, whatever that couldn't operate. Kevin McCarthy knows the House. He is an operator, obviously. This isn't the only thing he's won. I mean, time and again he's delivered on stuff for the Republican conference here. I mean, he's he's – vastly overperforming. This is where the Democrats were stupid. When he got elected speaker, they set the bar so low for him. Well, not only has he jumped over, he's soaring over it. Every time they pass a bill, and including tonight, which is his biggest moment, he soars over this low bar they set. He looks like a genius right now. If this were Joe Biden's uh, party, he might say he's the most consequential speaker in U.S. <laughs> history. Yeah. Joe Biden probably thinks he is the most consequential speaker in U.S. history. <laughs> good point. Uh, you mentioned Bernie Sanders voting against this, Kevin. We also hear that uh, Ron DeSantis has told folks that he would have voted against it. Sure. We heard that uh, Tim Scott yeah. is going to vote against it in the U.S. Senate. Those are two people who are uh, running for president. Yeah. Where, how does this fit into the presidential race? Well, I'm sure they are believing that because of the Freedom Caucus sort of whipping up people against it, that that's what they're going to hear out on the campaign trail. And so I, I get it as a matter of, I, look, I think you could have voted for this and been fine. I think you could oppose it and be fine. You know, DeSantis did vote for some debt limit increases when he was in the House, for what it's worth. And um, and so I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, if you look at the kind of campaign he's running, they are broadly trying to recreate the Ted Cruz model from before, it seems to me. That's what they're trying to do. And that's just a classic Ted Cruz move here. So... Also, I think he wanted to create a contrast. You know, when Donald Trump was president, he raised the debt limit several mm-hmm. times. And I, if I were president, I wouldn't do that. So I think there's they're trying to create some contrast. So I'm not totally surprised at the posturing. Tim Scott is the only 2024 candidate, though, who has a vote on this. So it kind of make it does make his vote a little more noteworthy, I think. 
So Donald Trump, is, from what I can tell, has not really commented. He's been like uncharacteristically yeah. quiet here. I mean, if you're counseling him, where does he come out on this? Uh, interesting. I don't. Well, he a, a few. I guess during his CNN town hall, his the main position he took was that <laughs> right. they should just default, which is not a legitimate you know position, obviously. So, but he hasn't said much since then. I mean, my guess is they're waiting and watching to see but how it turns out. He's likely to take credit for Speaker McCarthy's win because he's already taking credit oh, for McCarthy point. becoming Speaker in the first place. Yeah, that's probably that's probably right. I mean. I don't know. I mean, he may have also just been waiting to see how DeSantis played it. Because, yeah. you know, it, it seems like Trump's operating theory right now is whatever DeSantis does, I'm just going to take the other side of it. I mean, there for a long time, he was supporting Disney, you know, against DeSantis. And now he's come out on the other side of that all of a sudden saying DeSantis hasn't been hard enough on Disney. I guess they got a pullback. So, <laughs> I I mean, I, I I don't know. I it's, a, it's an interesting question. He has not been involved in this as much as I might have expected. So we have Nikki Haley out there who kind of gave a both sides answer on this. Uh, uh, Ram Swamy said he voted against it. <laughs> Is that not right? Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. There's no A between M and S. Is it's, there not? Is it's R A M S W A M Y. Are you sure? I actually think that might be a typo. Yeah, yeah I think there oh, is. I'm reading yeah. it on a. I'm reading yeah. it off an article here, so that's why I said it. Is it Ramaswamy? I'm, I'm searching. He, he, he did. He's correcting it's, what it says here. <laughs> Interesting. Rama Swami. It's like Shashevsky or Yastrzemski. Oh, oh can't somebody, trust the media. Somebody call the news. <laughs> it's, it's, on a, it's on a pretty significant website. Uh, so, anyway, I, I'm not really from all that familiar with Joe's not going to name them, though, at risk of. And also, Mike Pants. Oh, my, my pants. Yeah. How would my pants vote? His his Hispanic coalition will be Mike Pantalones. <laughs> but he, he did not express Miguel. support for it. Asa Hutchinson had expressed support for it. Anyway, where are we? And I, I haven't heard about Chris Christie, what he's going to do, if, if I, I pronounce that correctly. Apparently he's getting in. I read he's getting in you No, know, well. in terms of this, that deal's the, silly oh, thing. But, but anyway. Governor North Dakota, too. Where's he on this? Oh, Borgum. Bert Bergum? Bergum. Well, that tells you what you need to know about Pan-Aquan. that. Swami. We're not going to look up that guy's name. I could just, I could just imagine that Chris Christie's just going to yell at everybody about everything. So, look, presidential politics, Scott. Yeah, and then we'll kick it around here. It seems like Republicans have not learned anything from 2016. Donald Trump is doomed to be the uh, Republican nominee because you have a field of like 18 now in this race. Or prove me wrong. Well, not, I mean, you get people in today, but they may not be in by the time the voting starts. I mean, that's the real thing is you get down to November, December, and if you're sitting at 1%, maybe it's not going to happen for you. So my we, sus- we call that the Kamala Harris exit. <laughs> that's right. My suspicion is uh, several of these people will not have enough money to make it all the way to Iowa or New Hampshire. I will also point out, Iowa, trivia, who's the last Republican to win Iowa and go on to be the Republican nominee? Kevin? George W. Bush. George W. Bush, that's right. I took over Kevin's quiz tonight, and uh, you answered it, so good job. Um, it's it's not the kingmaker everybody thinks it is. Uh, New Hampshire is more relevant here. So, you know, if, if it's a crowded field in New Hampshire and Trump rolls, or in Iowa and Trump rolls, you could see people drop out. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about this yet. I, it's obvious to me there are a bunch of people who are running because they think it's a way to just get famous and see what happens. Chris Christie. Will they make it all the way to the finals? I don't know. Let me ask you about him first. Chris Christie. I've been around for a long time. Yeah, I've just interacted with him a little bit. 
I mean, look, he is the most pugilistic of the non-Trump candidates. <laughs> and, and you know, remember, uh, we don't have the audio probably because I just thought of it, but remember what he did to Marco Rubio in that yeah. debate back? I mean, he had no reason to kamikaze uh, Rubio, <laughs> but he did it and uh, just took him out. And so, you know, that's that's his thing. And and obviously he's gotten a lot of reps on TV lately, uh, you know, with his ABC contract. So he's, he's well-practiced on debating and so... All oh, right. yeah, you do have it. We're going to hear Christie and Rubio. You have not been involved in a consequential decision where you had to be held accountable. <laughs> you just simply haven't. See, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advice is getting. Now, at that time in the campaign, by the way. The thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how a great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is, the memorized 25-second speech. I mean. You know what the shame is? You know what the shame is, Marco? The shame is that you would actually criticize somebody for showing up to work, plowing the streets, getting the trains run back on time, when you've never been responsible for Chris, that in your entire life. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, like, he just, he just eviscerated. I mean, that ended Rubio right there. And so his style in this primary, he's naturally interested in brawling. Most people aren't. You know, most people just aren't comfortable with it. They're not confrontational. It's, you know, it's... Uh, but he really is. You know what I think is interesting about the field is, you know, just a couple of years ago, three, four, it, 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 it would have been unthinkable for any one person to challenge Donald Trump, let alone this many people. I do think that's noteworthy. DeSantis has, took, has taken on Trump this week pretty head on. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Christie certainly will. Um, Sununu, I think, will as well. So is he, is he good again? I think he's going to run. It sounded like earlier this week he was planning to get in. So, so what's the deal with uh, Trump being more kid gloves or almost uh, supportive of of Tim Scott versus everybody else? Well, he, he thinks no one else is a threat to him except DeSantis. So when anyone else gets in, it's a good thing, right? Because the field gets bigger, divides up the pie. DeSantis is the one they obviously think poses a threat. So if you have... A hundred other non-DeSantis is in the race. That in it's good for Trump. He wants them on ballots because it it means he can win easier. Essentially, Mike Pence. Yeah, I think he's earned the right to run for president. I don't see it, but I think he's a good man and he is a moral man. And I think what he stands for is traditional Republicanism. And I think it's needed in this debate. I don't I don't see his path, but he's everything he's been through. He's earned the right, in my opinion, to get in this thing and go for it. On speaking of elections, of course, we have one coming up in Kentucky. Yes. The last time all of us were together uh, was immediately after the uh, the primary election, just uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, when Daniel Cameron really, I think, surprised a lot of people, not by winning, but by the margin of his victory. Oh, yeah. And, Sean, I'm hearing uh, just a lot more energy from just, just, just rank-and-file Republicans who were mm-hmm. thinking? I mean, I, I I didn't I didn't hear that as much or sense that as much before the primary, but I'm feeling like they're thinking, oh wow, like we we actually could do this here. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, primaries, you know, everybody picks their person and they run, and you know, there's differences of opinion about who brings what to the table and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, uh, on election night, everyone called for unity behind the nominee to take on the governor because that's that's who 
we need to defeat. And so I think rank-and-file Republicans are excited about Daniel, excited about the whole entire ticket, uh, very qualified, probably the most qualified ticket we've had in generations. Um, and I, I think it is fair to say, Sean, this is the most qualified and experienced slate of candidates for constitutional mm-hmm. office that has ever been produced by a political party in the history of Kentucky. Yeah. I cannot think of a time, top to bottom, when Ruby you, Lafoon. <laughs> I cannot think of a time when, when top to bottom, the the ticket, the slate. Don't leave out my girl Peppy. <laughs> was this good? I I'm every every line has a yeah. highly mm-hmm. qualified, experienced candidate. They all bring different things to the table, but but you look at the Democrats and it's you know, it's a clown show, right? The Republican Party. Top to bottom, experienced, qualified, co- cohesive. They had a press conference over Sean at your office a couple yes. of, a few days ago. So I'm, I'm I think it's pretty solid. And that's what gives Republicans so much to be excited about. I mean, you you can't look at any of these candidates and not be excited to go vote November. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I can't wait for November. We want to get out there as soon as possible because they're all working together. They're all singing out of the same songbook, and it's we've got to defeat Andy Bashir. We've got to protect Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, it was like, well, Andy's the most popular Democrat governor in the country. Then Daniel, I, I think to, to most people's ex, probably overperformed, I think even the, the brightest of the Politico's expectations. On top of that, you add in the, the rest of the ticket that he and they sort of get to run together. Uh, and then, like, look, I, I think Andy Bashir's already out on the campaign trail. He's polling, coming out, showing us a dead heat. I think they know that the energy that, you know, it wasn't just going to be, oh, we love, we like, you know, Uncle Andy and everything's going to be fine. I mean, I think they know the energy is moving against them, that Daniel's performing better than they probably thought, and that this is a, this is a real race. This is a real race now. You mentioned that as far as the rest of the ticket, I don't see Andy Bashir talking about anybody else on the ticket other than Andy Bashir. Uh, and, uh, and to that point, if I could... You know, I guess my question, all of you have experience in political campaigns, and I do not. I would think that it's somewhat daunting to have a incumbent with $10 million in the bank and just ready to go after a somewhat bruising primary campaign for, for Daniel Cameron. So how do, you, how do you combat against that? Well... I think number one, Daniel won't be without resources. I mean, I think it's he's going to raise a bunch. Uh, there are outside groups like the Republican Governors Association that are already, at least an affiliate of theirs, already on the air. Uh, do and do so, we have that, by the way? Do we have that? Let me, if, if I could, can we hear that? Absolutely. It's not easy being a parent, protecting them, teaching them our values, and right from wrong. So it doesn't help that Andy Bashir would allow sex changes for children as young as eight and nine years old. That's right. Bashir seems to think young children are ready to make decisions about permanently changing their gender. It's radical, irreversible, and wrong. Call Andy Bashir. Tell him to keep Kentucky's children out of his liberal culture wars. I think I think it's not. Yeah, I'm here. Let's hear it again. I think uh, <laughs> play it again, Sam. Yeah, I think um, part of the game here is Bashir has tried to cultivate an image of a nonpartisan technocrat, and what people just don't know is how liberal he has been with his policy making in Frankfurt. His term has been largely defined by these non-ideological emergency situations that he's 
had to deal with along with others. But you just haven't had as much focus on the things he's vetoed, the things he's pushed, his ideological leanings in Frankfurt, and it's going to be an issue in this campaign. So you see that already starting, and I expect the national Republican apparatus is going to be there for Daniel to tell this story. So the way you combat this, I mean, look, no doubt, incumbent governors have a lot of advantages, money in the bank, didn't have a serious primary. Sure, Daniel will not be out there with a pea shooter, I can assure you. (laughs) So the question then, moving forward here in this campaign uh, are the issues that we just heard about from the RGA, is that what this is going to be about? Uh, somewhat. I mean, look, I think there's a story to be told about uh, what what has Andy Bashir actually been doing in Frankfurt? You know, he doesn't really want anyone to know what he's been doing in Frankfurt. Sean keeps up with it on, on a regular <laughs> yeah. basis. Oh, I want to get an update actually on this because I didn't uh, even realize, uh, you know, we'd heard so much back and forth for the longest time about the Board of Education in Kentucky. Yes. And not realizing that... That it was that the the governor had not fulfilled, I guess, his constitutional duty. Another way to say that he was breaking the uh, yes, law. You know, he was okay. actively breaking the law. But I do remember. I mean, not that Matt Bevan is is all that widely regarded as as uh, the as, legal the legal structure is different now yeah. because the first thing that the governor did when he came into the office mm-hmm. was reorganize the board, wipe out all the Republicans from the board, and put on Democrats. Something that even Joe Girth, who we've not talked about. Oh, we oh, will. Yeah. Oh, we will. So we'll we'll get back to oh. Mr. Girth in a minute. But criticized at the time saying he couldn't find one Republican to put on this board. And so the legislature comes in, changes the law and says you're going to you're going to put a board that like all these other boards got to reflect the the right. political party registration of the state. And so yeah, he started uh, uh following that law until he decided not to, which is for now about a year, there's been two members of the Board of Education that have not been showing up to meetings. They celebrated them, had a big cake, cut it, sent them off on their merry little way. And uh, and so he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't make any appointments to that board until some reporting came out this last week that said that this was a thing. And uh, our chairman, uh, Mac Brown of the mm. Republican Party of Kentucky, sent a letter saying, I just want to remind you of your, your job here, your legal obligation. And if you can't find a Republican, I'd be happy to find some for you. And uh, he uh, he then uh, finally appointed some this week. There, there is a long history of the Bashir family breaking this law. Yep. That, you know, you're supposed to have ideological or partisan balance on these boards. It's in the statutes. Steve Bashir broke this law. Andy Bashir breaks this law. And look, if, if it hadn't been for the Republican Party chairman, Mac Brown, noticing this and pushing this issue, he'd still be breaking the law today. I mean, that's the thing about the Bashirs. They'll break the law as long as they can get away with it. Yeah. And, and and it just, you know, there was too much pressure put upon them when it became apparent they were right. breaking the law. If Daniel Cameron were the governor, he would follow the laws of Kentucky. And I do think that's going to be part of the debate. The legislature passes laws, and they expect the executive branch to execute the laws. The Bashirs, because they are partisan ideologues, won't follow that law. And in a state that now has more Republicans— by the way— when you have when the Democrats were fully in charge of everything, and when it was like you know sixty five thirty five and and voter registration breakdown, they yeah, fine. But now there's more Republicans than Democrats, so by statute on these boards, there ought to be one more Republican than Democrats, and they don't want to do it. That's how partisan they are. And this isn't some throwaway board about potholes or anything. This is the Board of Education in a state with huge learning loss. 
across the board in a state with a commissioner of education who has decided to become a political actor and drive teachers out of the classroom in the middle of a teacher shortage. The Board of Education should have been a top priority because it couldn't be more important. This is the thing about education in Kentucky. It has been hyper-politicized by Bashir. It has been politicized. He wiped out the board. He put Democrats on there, partisan Democrats. They then, they then did their bidding of the did the bidding of the governor to pick Jason Glass, who is a hyper liberal culture warrior, and then they purposely refused to put Republicans on despite state law, because they knew you know any any Republican who reflected the rest of the state would throw a fit about it. This is the the this goes to the heart of the thing, the politicization of education. And Republicans and conservatives are worried about politicized education in the classroom. Well, no wonder they're worried about it because it's being politicized in Frankfurt by the governor and the board of education and the education commissioner. So why wouldn't you assume that it was being politicized in the actual friggin' classroom? I brought up Map Evan before just because of the fact that I remember covering this, that he, when he became governor, did on the U of L board made sure that it was racially demographically represented. Yeah. Back, yeah. back in that, because it was, it had not been under his predecessor. Correct. Right. Who, who the was. Bashirs break these laws. It's what they do. And no one ever holds them to account. Mac Brown, our Republican chairman did this time. And there was some reporting about it. Although one of the stories said that Andy Bashir had mistakenly hmm. not filled the, no, there's no mistake. Don't give this partisan liberal the benefit of the doubt. I know that's what they do, Sean. There's no mistake. It's not mistakenly. It's on purpose. The literal opposite of mistakenly. These guys, somebody, you got to watch them all the time. They literally think they are above the law. So governor's race, and you mentioned uh, the Courier-Journal. Sean, you also mentioned a columnist for the Courier-Journal and, mm. and, a, and a column mm. apparently about Daniel Cameron. So give us the update. What, what happened here? Well, uh, Joe Gerth, who's a columnist for the uh, Louisville Courier-Journal, uh, apparently believes that um, the nomination of Daniel Cameron by the Republicans shows that they are racist. And also that— Wait, 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 wait. And, yeah, I know, I know. And that, and that uh, Daniel Cameron doesn't really understand the plight of black people in this country. But Joe Gerth does. But Joe Gerth does. Is this sort of like the Louisville version of You Ain't Black? Yes, yes. Yeah. it's exactly. If you ain't for Andy Bashir, you're not allowed to be black in Kentucky. That's essentially what yes. Joe Girth argued, and that's what Ricky Jones is arguing. So is he saying that Daniel's going to put him back in chains? Is this another Joe Biden moment? This is the thing. This, Joe this Girth's is... got hot sauce in his in his pocketbook too. Does nobody know that reference? I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry. What? what is happening right now? Okay, did you just have a, a stroke? A, no, this was when Hillary Clinton was on. Uh, I think it was the Breakfast Club, which is Charlemagne, is who Joe Biden famously said the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. black. And this is a Beyonce thing that she has hot sauce in her uh, purse, and Hillary Clinton went on there and was like, "I always have hot sauce in my purse." Oh you my guys God. don't know this? I didn't know that. Oh, but I that's, gotta find this. Okay. Like it's like I almost I don't believe it, but I do believe it. Yeah. Like look that up. <laughs> I just always appreciate <laughs> wow. Jared Nobody knows coming this. in to help me out. Yeah, because otherwise I'd be the laughing stock. First of, of all, show Beyonce is a pop singer in the United States who has several hit albums. You may want to okay <laughs> hit albums. Any, any 45s? <laughs> so the, this clip, we'll see if this is it. This is called the, the tangent. Hillary Clinton hot sauce incident. It's Charlemagne <laughs> on the Breakfast Club. All right. No, she has to go. She what's what's something that you always carry with you? Hot Just, sauce. 
Really? You, yeah. Yeah. Really? Are you yeah. getting information right now? <laughs> Beyonce <laughs> reference. <laughs> There was a long pause because they did not you know, know what to do with that. Going, hearkening back to Hillary for a moment, there were. Remember when she? Remember <laughs> when she would like when speaking to African American audience would change like the inf- like the the accent of her voice. Yes, I do. It, it's so weird. But anyway, to fast forward to current events, yes, you have a white liberal columnist for the Career Journal, who, by the way, had previously written. Joe Gerth, that Daniel Cameron was Kentucky's biggest serial killer. So that was his first view on Daniel. Now his view is, is that if you voted for Daniel, who's an African-American and would be the first black governor of Kentucky, and I think the first elected black Republican governor in the United States. That's true. That that makes you a racist. You know, if, if you'd cast that vote. If, if, if he were a Democrat. The columns that would oh, be yeah. written he was, all he, over the state saying, what a historic not, moment. We've done it. Not just all over the state, all over the nation. The nation. He, just, he, he would already be on the cover of Vanity Fair. Just to be clear He'd, about I mean, this. it would be a nightly celebration of Daniel Cameron. Just to be clear as far as what racism is, is that you're saying that Joe Girth wrote in this column that the way someone's opinions are, the way that their character is, the way that uh, they would vote— should be determined by the color of their skin. That is exactly what he's saying. So he is saying that that is racist. But you're saying that he said that racist thing. Yes, he was saying that, Don't not so fast, Republicans, just because you nominated a black candidate for governor doesn't make you not racist. He's saying you are defined that if you're a black person, you have an obligation because of your race to to act a certain way. Yes, you have an obligation to well, vote Democrat. Okay. Can we all agree that that is a racist statement? Yes. yes. 100%. So why is that tolerated? Because he's a he's black a Republican. It's tolerated because that's the way black conservatives are treated. I just want to repeat yeah. this. You're, that he is saying that a person, I don't, no matter who it is, that if, if you're African American, if you're black, that you need to vote a certain way and act a certain way in accordance with... Whatever the political will well, is. His, his, yeah. his ideology. The, it's exactly what they do to Clarence Thomas. Yeah. It's exactly what they do to Tim Scott. Town Hall had a great opening line on this. This uh, these racist attacks. It's been an awfully racist week for leftists. The, this is the thing. This got national attention. Yeah. Town Hall, Newsbusters, uh, Fox News picked it up. This, this free got beacon. this yeah. got free big. Na- this got national yeah. attention this, because this, because. You cannot read it any other way than what you're describing, Joe. It's blatantly but it's, racist. But here's the thing. In this day and age, I just don't understand. In the world in which we live today, in the same way as we asked about Joel Pett a few weeks ago, yeah. why is racism tolerated in the state's two most prominent newspapers? It's okay. It's because. I don't get it. Because it's okay if you're racist against Republicans. They'll tolerate, oh, they'll tolerate you, racism oh. as, long as, as long as you're serving the greater good. Yeah. Of eviscerating Republicans. So you can be racist as, as long as, as it your, serves your political ends. You got it, brother. Yeah. Well, wow. That's it. This is, this is the... Who knew? You can also be discriminatory well, against other people in like the 1800s. This I year. sort of feel like we did this in this country <laughs> once before. Yeah. Unbelievable. They, they also do this the, these mental gymnastics to justify it, like girth in there. It's like, well, Daniel Cameron supports school choice, and that would hurt black kids, so therefore he doesn't it, actually... No, no, no citations <laughs> on like that. It's just, of course, just not true. Oh, he supports... 
over policing I, I wonder if black I, community. Like that's just this ridiculous. I wonder if Joe Girth like, had to like, you know, provide source materials to back up each of his claims. Yeah, it, and, it does kind of reek a white privilege. I mean yeah, I'm just saying I'm just, he you know, I believe <laughs> yes. he, I mean he lives out in Prospect near me. I'm just telling you. The guy has a pretty great area of Joe, town that he lives Joe, in. Joe, if you're listening, listen. <laughs> I know you I've known you for a long time. We'd covered stories at the same time. This is it is not too late, I wouldn't think. Retract. M- mea culpa. Just realize, wait a second. I, now that I understand the construct, take a step back and realize that what you have written and said is racist, and I apologize. And then just try it. Because at this point, don't go down the same path as Joel Pett and become a chronic racist and, and, and who is tolerated and even promoted for that reason. There is a is this white patriarchy yeah. among this, this class which says, I'm going to lecture to you and tell you this is how you ought to act because of your race. And if, if that is not offensive to every person reading and listening to all of this, I don't know what could be. By the way, the liberals in this town where we record this podcast, Louisville, they've lost their minds. Because remember, it wasn't that many weeks ago that a bunch of them wrote an op-ed for the Courier-Journal saying, you know, the Holocaust, not that big of a deal. The International Holocaust, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Day. We really need to remember. About yeah. It shouldn't just Jewish be about people. Not a huge I deal. Just, I, I'm, I'm just disappointed. I, I, I really, I mean, because... I, the, I haven't seen you this animated, Joe. I love it. Well, I guess because... I mean, the headline was it, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Is a time to remember more than just one atrocity? <laughs> I, I mean... Honestly, well, I the liberals in this town have lost their minds. There's a former the, state rep on that. To their credit, I think the Courier Journal apologized for that. Well, they did. Well, they, they yeah, they, backed into they it, said yeah. it was a teachable moment. Teachable for the moment. <laughs> well, there perhaps could be a teachable moment for Joel Pett and for and for Joe Girth at this moment. But to what's realize, the difference? Like in that case, yes. the, the mistake was recognized, and I think your point, Joe, is correct. Just recognize the mistake right. that arguing that the color of someone's skin should dictate their political actions right. is a racist concept. Right. It is racist. And by the way, it's demeaning and it's degrading to say to someone, if you are black, you must do what I'm a white person and I'm going to tell you what you have to do. Come on, man. It's <laughs> it's awful. I mean, I was a reporter. I was a journalist. I never I, – I, I, I honestly can say I never presupposed – what someone's opinion, vote, position was going to be based upon the demographic character. I mean, I, I, I just don't, this, that is inconsistent with how we approach these things. I mean, it seems I guess, like you were a good reporter. I, I, guess, though, <laughs> there, there, I guess there is a level of embarrassment with the liberals in this state that their political party is badly lagging the Republican Party when it comes to the promotion of a diverse set of people who look like America for high office. It's been the Republicans who got there first on promoting women for the legislature. It's the Republicans who had the first African-American lieutenant governor. Then Daniel came along as AG. Now they've nominated Daniel as governor. They had Ralph Alvarado, a Hispanic doctor, for a nominee for lieutenant. It's been the Republicans who've actually embraced the idea of diversity in our politics. And it's the Democrats who who have just absolutely failed at this. And run on yeah. names of the past, dynastic names. Yes. And so I think they are embarrassed that their party, their cho- you know, they run around lecturing everybody about diversity and acceptance and we have to promote this and equity that. Their own party is a failure when it comes to the promotion of anybody other than dynastic rich white folks. That's who they tend to dominate 
around here. And it's the Republican Party that's finding dynamic, diverse candidates for a lot of these offices. They know it. We know it. They're embarrassed by it. And it and it manifests itself in these racist outbursts. They've all lost their minds. <laughs> you can almost kind of see like how the conversation would happen of like, you know, being like, well, you guys are racist. Like, well, we've, we've got a black candidate for governor. It's like, well, dang, they do have a black candidate. Well, he's just not black. (laughs) It's like, nice try. Gotcha. You know, it's like, it's so childish. Because he doesn't check the box. It's it's, it's so childish. He won't bend the knee. I mean, ultimately, they want Daniel Cameron to come over and bend the knee and say, yes, oh, please tell me what I have to say. Please tell me what I have to think. Please tell me the policies that I have to promote in order to be black in your eyes. That's what they want. That's what they think black people in politics should do, is come over and bend the knee and be ordered around. That's what they think. And it's awful. Scott, I have a gift for you. Whoa! Oh. I went to the Cardinals game in St. Louis oh. over the weekend. It was a terrible game. Yeah. And they've not, been playing pretty well. They're not awful. scoring very well. But right. I've, I'm conflicted about this gift. Uh-oh. Because it's baseball. Oh, no. What's and, on there? And Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Budweiser. It's, it's not, not but it's not Bud Light. Yeah. But it, but it's so it's it's a ba- it's it's the Cardinals logo. It's it's Budweiser cans and bottles and um and and it's and it's yours. I mean it could it's be worse. It could yes. be worse. It could be a Dodgers jersey. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is where we are right now and with all this but I I so the question is will you wear that? I'm going to take it I'm going to take your gift under advisement. <laughs> and I'm going to pull this and see what my people think. Your people? Yeah. Okay. You're going to take a look at online poll? Podcast listeners, okay. Cardinal fans. All right. He, he regularly pulls his wardrobe. Can you please? <laughs> okay, I want you to post this on your Twitter account. Should Scott wear should Scott this should wear bowling the, shirt? The Budweiser. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question. When you got this at the stadium, were yes. you there when they handed it out? I was. Were people like throwing them on the field or anything? No. Were they wearing them? Yes. They were? They wow. were. See, but it wasn't. But I don't know Bud if it's between Bud Light and Bud Light. Love free stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, you it is. Yeah, culture but, war, no. politics. Like, if you get a free T-shirt, I have a quick rant about that because one thing that really puzzles me is that when they do the thing, the National Donut Day, and one of the donut chains gives away free donut. Is it Krispy Kreme? Yeah. And yeah. literally, you could wait in line for like two hours for a ninety-nine cent donut. <laughs> and people that do that. I, I, you're right. People love free well, stuff, but it literally yeah. makes no sense from a time proposition. Like you're <laughs> investing two of your man hours to get a 99 cent donut. I don't understand, but I agree with you. People you love free stuff. Bought a full dozen the day before. By the way, people love. I mean, that's what Bud Light's going to have to be free for people to drink it. I, <laughs> I mean, if you, I mean, it's been. I have to start paying people to drink it, brother. They can't get rid of the stuff. Of course, InBev, which owns Anheuser Busch, which owns Bud Light and Budweiser, they own a lot of different brands. Some people are switching from one brand to the next, not realizing that they're switching to yet another (laughs) brand also owned by InBev. But you also have some beer spoiling and going stale, you know, in 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 some warehouses because of the fact of this whole. yeah, just drink, what's, what's I forgot the person's name, but whatever it is, the the, the that's fine. The, yeah. the, the Dylan worry. Mulvaney, I got you. Just just drink bourbon. I thought it was Rasaswamy. <laughs> drink local. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've lost track of, of all of this though. But it, it does bring up though, and it reminds me as far as uh, wokeism oh. and and Major League Baseball, this terrible terrible situation in Los Angeles that they actually it's the shirt yes <laughs> i haven't taken it out of the package yet you're thinking about it though i know i don't know what to do so in los angeles 
the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, had as part of their Pride Month uh, the involvement of this group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is a Catholic hate group. It's a hate group. Hate, hate group by anti-Catholics. Call it what it is. Which, Anti-Catholic hate group. And with the long history of it, look them up and you can see all the things that have been said, done, and and uh, and mocked. But so so they did the right thing by realizing we're sorry. We should not have invited a hate group to be a part of this 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 Pride Month situation, and and that's and and let's let's put that to bed, so to speak. Then, <laughs> then, Sean, what happened? Oh, they they changed right. their minds. They got so much backlash from the woke ideologues for not bringing a hate group into their stadium that they flip flopped. So they actually said. We're sorry. We're going to invite the hate group after all. Yes, mm-hmm. that yeah. is exactly. That was pretty I mean, much their public statement. Yeah. So it was invite the hate group. Oh my God, we invited a hate group. <laughs> Disinvite the hate group. Oh my God, Twitter is mad. Invite the hate group back, which then caused several players, yeah. Clayton to say, Kershaw among others, to say, "To say we don't wait. <laughs> we should not be having hate groups here who are here to make fun of people's religion, which is why they exist." There were bishops. There are bishops out saying things. Bishop Barron called for a boycott of the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I, they I, gave I into the woke, they gave into the woke mob. But you know who they're not too hateful for. In What's addition that? to the Dodgers, is Andy Bashir. Oh, really, uh, Sean? Yeah. And, wait, 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 wait. Why? Why would I? I, I explain to me how <laughs> how was Andy Bashir involved with the Los Angeles oh, Dodgers? Oh, he, no, no, no. He's he's the been sisters. hosting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at our state capital. How many no, times hosted them? No, 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 no. In the Capitol. How many times? At least there's twice. A Kentu- there's a Kentucky chapter what? of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. This can't be true. Yes. At least twice that they've been up there. Yeah. I think three times. He's and he's No, no, wait, wait, wait. You are saying that the that the the anti-Catholic oh, yeah. hate group, yeah. the so-called Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are in are endorsed by Andy Bashir. Oh yeah, he, he took a big photo with him and said he was proud to stand. They endorsed each other, and then when he was called out for it, he yeah. defended it. There was there was this uh, this this cross- Bruce Schreiner has an the article. Man, the man who says we all have to practice our Christian faith as we lift each other up is this is a true story you're, you're talking about cavorting right now. Yes, around yes. the state capitol with anti look, look at this right there Christian hate groups. Holy crap! Now that one right there. He usually has fangs with like blood dripping down his face, and so he was just. Are you, are you talking about one of the sisters or Andy Bashir? It's <laughs> <laughs> not is, blood that's dripping. This is, this is so, terrible. So they they all came up here to protest. This is true. Senate. I know. This it is, is not a deep fake. This is no. This it's is actual, on the internet. This is an actual, Everything on the internet's true. <laughs> this is an actual photograph yes. of an actual hate group with the government. Welcome to the conversation, Joe. That's yes. amazing. Yes. They hate Catholics, and they are endorsed and do endorse Andy Bashir. Yes. The man who lectures us all about faith and values, and here I am cutting a commercial in the church. Let me tell you who he hangs out with. When you're not around. Anti, when you're not paying attention, and when you're not around in Frankfurt, he's in the Capitol with an anti-Christian, anti-Catholic like, hate group. It's kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, honestly. Like, you it, know. It, it is. Ah. It's, but that's the thing. He doesn't... These guys, they think what they they're in a bubble in Frankfurt, and they can just do whatever. They can break the law on the board of education. They can knock around the Capitol with the anti-Catholic, anti-Christian hate crew. And they don't think you'll notice. They don't think you'll know about it. They're going to know about it this time. They're going to know. I, yeah, those people stick out a little bit. <laughs> Let me ask you something about the Dodgers. Let's just say that I don't know an anti-Muslim hate group said, "Well, I want to come over to the." Stadium and have a day. You think they'd let them? 
I I think no, absolutely Short answer. not. I mean, you, there, there, without any exception. Do you think that an anti-Jewish hate group, like I don't know, Nazis, said, "I want to come over and have a day"? You think they'd let them? They shouldn't, and they wouldn't. So why is it that the only anti fill in the blank hate group that's allowed is an anti Christian hate group. Why do you think why is that? Why is it in our culture that we run around trying to stamp hate out of our culture, but there is a certain kind of hate that it not only is permitted, but is celebrated? I am puzzled by this. This sounds very similar to a conversation we were having just a few minutes ago about people you could be discriminatory or racist toward. Why is it, Sean? I just I find this so puzzling that we live in a world that is it's such a duality. We can't have hate. We have to get rid of hate. No hate. No hate. Hate crimes. Hateful speech. Whatever. And yet there is a corner of the world of American hate that is permitted, tolerated, celebrated, promoted yeah. by baseball, by the Dodgers, by major corporations, by Governor Andy Bashir who lectures us, can anybody explain to me why this corner of American hatefulness is okay when we all run around saying none of the rest of it is? I just find it weird. Weird. It's very weird. Mm. It's so weird. And hateful. It's hateful. It's, look, people are welcome not to be Catholic and not to be Christian, and they're welcome to think those beliefs are sure. wrong or bad or stu- whatever. But to go out and make a group dedicated to hating on it and to making fun of it and to denigrating someone's deeply held faith and then to have those views promoted doesn't sit well with me. Don't don't, forget, I don't think it's going to sit well with the people of Kentucky either. Don't forget, though, we're the ones wa- waging the culture war. It's, it's <laughs> us. It's us. Right. We're really the right. ones sparking these flames. I'm just, I don't I, get I appreciate it. you guys bringing all this to my attention. <laughs> Do with it what you, you will. You, yes. Just quickly, Joe, you mentioned Clayton Kershaw. We talked a couple months ago about the hockey player who refused yeah. to wear yeah. the, yeah, the yeah. flag or the rainbow flag or the rainbow theme jersey during warmups. I think the players are going to start getting sick of this. And, and and that doesn't mean that they don't support pride or have friends who may be part of the LG. But they don't, they're just there to play baseball. I get in this sense that they're kind of sick of having a. A, figure out, you know, right. what's going to be on my jersey tonight or what am I going to have to stand for tonight or what am I going to have to talk about in the locker room after this? Do I support yeah. X, Y, and Z bill or what? And they just want to be there and throw six innings and go home. You know, I think the players are, are really going to start going to the union and saying, this is not what I signed up for. I don't know these issues, and I'm not going to selectively try to talk about them, uh, you know, the way LeBron likes to do with, with China. Um, hypocrite. Uh, not a LeBron fan, but I, I think the players are, are going to start speaking up and and not wanting to do this, and I think that's going to be the the line here. Well, they are thrust, and then if a player has the guts to stand up and say, "Wait, I don't, I don't want to promote this or this, I don't want to promote a hate group," and I don't, and look, I'm a Christian, you know, I don't yeah. want, I don't want them here, basically denigrating my faith. I, I work here, you know. This is remember, right. this is their place of business. What if you went to your office? Let's say you were a devout practicing Catholic and you work for just a random corporation and you went by your office one day and your bosses had invited the anti-Catholic hate group to come in and go around your office denigrating your views, making fun of your faith in the name of Pride Month. 
Well, and how do you think you'd feel as an employee? Because I think that's how these baseball players feel. Like I work here. Yeah. This is where I go to work, and you are inviting someone in to make fun of me in my own workplace. Well, and beyond that, it's it's a situation where I gather it's not a situation where you just have to put up with it, but instead you're going to be criticized and yes. and yeah. and perhaps even made to apologize. If you don't go along with the hate, we you have to you have to join in. Well, right. you have to wear the jersey with the patch or the the the. Yes. You know what I mean, you're you're it's, being forced to be involved in it too, right? It's, <laughs> it would be like if we made them wear stormtrooper outfits for Star Wars night, right? Like, Which actually, it's, is not a bad idea. <laughs> it'd be kind of cool to see, but again, it's like it's forcing these political guess, issues well, on these these players who don't necessarily a have any idea of what's going on, or B, have a worldview that is different than their liberal owners or whatever. And this is what Eric Erickson says all the time. You will be made to care. Yeah. That is that is the and And, and, it's, the forced, and it's forced conformity. Yes. That's what it is. And to go back to the conversation we were having about Joe Girth and the liberals who were going nuts about Daniel Cameron, that's what they can't stand, mm-hmm. is that he and Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas and Byron Donalds and the other... African-American conservative leaders we have won't conform. It's forced conformity. You must conform. And anybody who gets out of line must be punished. He even dragged our friend O.J. Aleka into his column. Yes. And O.J. had to respond and say, you are out of control, man. Yes. It, it is this idea, this liberal progressive compulsion to force you to conform is really this is authority the, the the word authoritarian got thrown around during the Trump year. Let me tell you what's authoritarian. Forced political conformity. That's all this is. On that happy note, <laughs> any thoughts from anyone anything anything we've seen read heard you want to share before we uh, wrap it up here? Well, I had something I wanted to ask Sean about. I saw you tweet about an interesting thing the other day. There was a nun in Missouri Yes. That had been exhumed? Yes. And had not, the nun had not um, decomposed really at all. And isn't that, as I was reading it, that's one of the signs of sainthood. Of sainthood. And, and, and anyway, I saw you tweet. And anyway, apparently people are going to Missouri by the thousands yes. to, to basically, this is like a pilgrimage people are yeah, taking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you summarized it very well. Uh, but I mean, it's. Incorruptible is, is what they what That's they right. call it in, uh-huh. in the church, and so she uh, she died some I can't remember exactly how it's like many four years or five ago. years ago. Yeah, and yeah. she is she is perfectly preserved uh, from the moment uh, of her passing, and so wow. uh, yeah, there, there's talk of her maybe being eligible to to be put on uh, maybe eventually. You know, it's a long process to become yeah. a saint, uh, but you know there would have to be some research and, and some other things. But what caught my eye about it was that you know we, we're seeing examples in America right now of people being drawn to centers of faith. We saw the revival here, here in Kentucky. In Asbury, we had the yeah. revival at Asbury. That thing caught, and it's just, I, I, it, it just makes me think people are searching for something right now. Mm-hmm. You know, in our culture, in our world, there's, there are people searching for things. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and then you see this culture war waging, uh, being waged by the left against people who would dare to be searching for that kind of faith and those sorts of value. I, I don't know. I, it's it's an interesting battle that's going on in our culture. I, and I don't, they're not necessarily related, but maybe they are in a, in a more macro sense. I'm usually more hopeful than this, 
But my first thought after you describing this, and even though it's a very hopeful and perhaps even miraculous moment, is the mockery that will follow. Yeah. And it's just what I believe is going to happen here with this story. I, I just, I can't, I, I, I began to anticipate the th- kind of things that will be said or probably perhaps already have. We, we as people of faith are meant to be mocked. I think this is yeah. a sign. Well, that's true. The Lord has not left our nation. Mm-hmm. That's hopeful. Well, Christ himself obviously showed us grace under mockery and that we can perhaps all follow that example. All right, Jared. What I you got for us? Seen Red Hurt. Um, the Evil Empire's back. We gave the NFL a couple of years. <laughs> uh, the Patriots, as you may have seen, were caught cheating last week with some uh, what? Some team activities and proper uh, agenda and scheduling. So they were docked a couple of days. Of Wait a minute. Team what a- rule is this? <laughs> During these optional team activities, they're only given like four hours with the players. They went over by like 15 minutes a couple of times. Something like this. Who who Wait, tra- like, who knows? Movie night uh, went long or what? Something like this. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's typically like an NFL union rep who. Wait checks a minute. These let me just let me just ask you a question. So if you run an NFL team and you want to have a meeting with the people who you pay millions of dollars to to discuss, I don't know how to be yeah. on a football team. You are you are capped on how much you can talk to them during these these optional team activities. Yes, because the idea is that they were worked too hard. <laughs> and there's too much content. Well, they can't put pads on and these sorts of things. They can't engage. But they were in... just having a meeting. Uh, yeah. The, well, so part of it was that the the agendas didn't line up. <laughs> it was bowling or night. whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I... So one guy had said like they went seven to nine on film study. The other agenda said like seven fifteen to nine thirty or something like that. Uh, oh. But so this when, is a paperwork. This issue. is a paperwork issue. <laughs> sure. But when the Patriots are cheating, they win Super Bowls. And so good luck to the rest of the NFL. I did see Tom Brady uh, might come back as a quarterback in Las I, Vegas. I don't think that's going to happen. I do think it's kind of cool that he bought the team. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has obviously made a glass, so who knows if he'll last. But, um, no, I, I'm, football is my favorite season. I'm glad it's back. And the Patriots are cheating again, so good luck. Man. Who would, who would have known you can't have a meeting that goes, although that is interesting. We may institute that. Meetings. <laughs> The meeting goes over or time. You get docked, well, the you podcast has. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I wanted to. I was going actually going to bring up something that you shared, Scott, which was the article about tipping. Oh yes, oh, yes. Was, how, that's, that's a yes. whole other podcast. I did a I did a week of radio shows on that back in nineteen ninety nine. Well, like I, I like pride. Like I'm I'm a I'm a fair tipper. I'm a generous tipper. I would consider myself to be a generous. <laughs> like, if I do may say so, myself. <laughs> if I can say so, myself, I'm very generous. <laughs> But it just does. It just does. He gives a fair twelve percent every time. That such a great. Is humble. that in your? Is that in your dating profile? <laughs> Generous tipper. tipper. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh. I don't even know why I brought this up. I, that was uncalled for and unnecessary. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm interested. Go, please. No. I won't interrupt you anymore. It just does seem like there's a there's a proliferation of these things everywhere now. Yes. Yeah. That like, was the, what the article was about. Was I know. Why? Yeah. Why is every electronic prompt you have in a consumer setting now asking you for a tip is basically uh, 25 years ago i guess whatever it was now i called for tipping to be abolished and and it, it, <laughs> and it should be that didn't work well no I, of course i was the nation's a, cows were grateful i saw the, the whole point being is just just bake it into the wage and call it a day and if you otherwise you're saying you're you're expecting someone's earnings to be based upon the mood or the generosity of Sean. 
And I'm saying is instead, <laughs> and I'm always in a good mood. No, but it's, but I'm saying is that it, sh- it should be more consistent. If, if if I mean if if the whole conceit here is going into this, you expect everyone to pay this extra amount, and, and we're gonna and we're gonna expect that. So as a result, if that's the expectation, just make it part of the the overall cost and call today. But don't make it based upon this randomness. Well, I think the reason they're in all the prompts now is that they know there's it's a volume game, right? It's just there's a cohort of people who yeah. can't or won't say no. They feel bad. Yep. Like Sean. <laughs> right. He's out here tipping 80, 90 percent on everything. Even but in the, so the, the, the this, use scan and the so self-checkout. After I read this article, I saw this meme of someone being like, Would you like to pet my dog? And this person being like, Oh yeah, and then they're like they're like pet the dog and then it's like prompt. Then it holds, the person holds up a prompt that says <laughs> tip twenty percent. Here's my QR Venmo. Oh man, that's, that's it was interesting. It's interesting. We should have a little pot on this sometime. I I think uh, it's a good topic. I've expressed my opinions. I'll just say that a great movie on I think it's Amazon Prime is the Air movie with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, yeah the, the other one Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Uh, I've heard that's good. I've heard Nike. the BlackBerry movie is good. Haven't seen that one. I've heard the new Spider-Man movie is good. Heard Spider-Man is good. I saw Guardians three. Eh, it was okay. Anything for okay. us, Kevin? Uh, this past weekend, Henry Kissinger, former U.S. Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, turned 100 years old. Uh, lots of press about him. I started reading a book about him called Master of the Game. Uh, he's 100 years old, so he is the master of the game. He was old when I met him in 1987. Of course you met him. So there you uh, go. Apparently now he's becoming an expert on AI, so the guy doesn't stop. He does not stop. Man. Take us home, Scott. I think we covered the waterfront. I don't have anything else. How could we possibly have anything else? What a, what a packed week. Whenever we go two weeks without doing a panel, yeah. stuff builds up. We'll do it again next week. Don't forget, tip your podcast. <laughs> Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.